Rusty May describes himself as a classroom whisperer. And I have to agree with him because he's a great example and a true inspiration for educators to understand and connect, you know, genuinely connect with all students, which results in more teachable time, more time on task, improved outcomes, including students' social, emotional, and behavioral skills, all leading, so importantly, to your increased job satisfaction. Hi. Nini White here. Welcome to the Big Picture Social-Emotional Learning Podcast. In this episode, Rusty May will be sharing important insights about attachment theory with specific ways to nurture the development of the students in your class who have different attachment patterns. This is one fascinating and valuable conversation. I hope and trust you'll find it to be worth your time and attention. I'm happy to welcome again Rusty May to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. Thank you, Rusty, for finding the time to do this with me. My pleasure. <laughs> um, today, we're going to talk about attachment theory, which um, I am really uh, very, very interested in. I've only read one book about it, but I'm sure there's a lot more to know about it besides the overarching positive influence that healthy attachments have on children's development. And of course, healthy attachments should start at birth, ideally. And then ideally, they are further developed in schools. So maybe we could back up a little bit and you could tell us a brief description of what attachment theory is. And then I understand that there are four basic patterns. Could you give us that overview first? Yeah, the attachment idea is is that within the first few years of life, uh, a child will attach in one of four ways to their primary caregiver. Um, Those four ways are secure attachment, avoidant, anxious, and disorganized. And there are more categories than that. They've broken it down into, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, subcategories of these categories and so forth. But those four are the main ones. So all of a sudden you said avoidant attachment. That doesn't make sense in my brain. (laughs) Yeah, the avoidant attachment, um, you know, a lot of times what we're dealing with with these kids is that they, uh, you know, they're coming from some pretty challenging backgrounds. And so um, they they tend to be, uh, they create these tools as a way of uh, protecting themselves. And the avoidant tool is, is they present themselves as being incredibly independent. So this is a kid who might be uh, actually quite <laughs> academically capable in certain subject areas, uh-huh. um, but refuses to ask for help, doesn't connect very well with other kids, uh, doesn't connect with their teacher, and just kind of holds all their cards to themselves because they don't trust the adults in the world and that their attachment with their primary caregiver created this sense that they had to take care of themselves. So they're very avoidant when it comes to relationships. Oh, okay. So it's interesting. I'm I'm kind of stuck on this concept of attachment and avoidance. Why do they put those two together? Because they're, how does that work? Well, again, they're avoiding attachment. That's the, they're, they're dismissive of relationship and the importance of relationship. Oh, so okay. What, yeah, they're avoidant of attachment. They're, okay, they avoid, so. they 
avoid attachment with other peers. They avoid attachment with other adults. They're very dismissive of the need for other people in their lives. Um, And so therefore they, they avoid attachment. They're attached to the avoidance and just, I see the, the, the avoidance um, uh, model of working that works for themselves in their lives. Okay. Sorry to be so thick there. No. Um, Yeah. And so do you see that happening? Even this podcast is mainly uh, for early childhood educators. Do you even see that with the the young ones? I think I've seen it when you describe it like that. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. The attachment takes place in the first two or three years. And so they've they've you'll see this when you drop a kid off at daycare. One of the early tests that they would do would be to to have a mom bring a child into an office and drop the kid off and see how the kid would respond to the parent leaving. And a secure uh, child will tend to, um, you know, be pretty connected to the individual that's there and, and be okay with it and understand that their parent is coming back. The avoidant will, uh, they'll, they'll just be basically go off by themselves and, and sit down and they don't really, they don't really uh, interact with anyone else in the room. The anxious one can't figure out whether or not the adult is going to come back. So they're constantly overwhelmed with the ascent because the, the real key to attachment that I realized when I started looking into it was the idea uh-huh. that attachment is based on survival skills. You got to imagine that in your first couple of years of life, your primary caregiver gives you two things, safety and food. And yeah. so if, if your attachment to them is based on those two things and they don't provide those two things for you, on a regular basis, your attachment to the rest of the world is going to be disorganized. It's going to be uh, dysfunctional. And it's so got no it, anchor. It's got no anchor. And so one of the biggest things that, that I realized, I mean, both the attachment theory and behavioralism came on at the same time in the 1950s. They became very popular. Education picked up behavioralism as their disciplinary strategy, which was the idea of you give the dog a treat when they do something right. You take, you know, you punish them when they do something wrong. Mm-hmm. And behavior is, is, is based on what you give or take away from um, the, the subject that you're dealing with. And so schools took that on and said, okay, if uh, you do something good, we're going to give you a reward. If you do something bad, we're going to give you a discipline or a punishment. Uh, yeah. all, that's all well and good if it makes any difference whatsoever to the individual. And because of attachment theory, and because attachment theory precedes any learning theory, that if you look at Maslow's uh, hierarchy, or his pyramid, the hierarchy of the two bottom rows of, uh, right. of his pyramid, were the ideas of basically safety and security. And if those aren't taken care of, the child in question is not going to learn anything from behavioralism right. because they don't care. That's not what they're worried. These are the kids that hoard food. These are the kids who are. Um, you know, rocking back and forth and trying to self-soothe. These are the kids, the, usually the high-need kids in our classrooms that, are, that really don't, they, they don't have a, uh, like you said earlier, an anchor that they can, that they can rely on and they don't have the adults around them. So the idea that we can teach them something without first connecting to them, in my mind, is, 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 is completely uh, erroneous. Of course. I mean, yeah, we have to go back to just human nature and what we all want and need. So, this puts teachers, some teachers, in really, really challenging positions. What do you suggest for dealing in, with these kinds of kids that are coming from these kinds of uh, environments? 
Well, I mean, it's really not that big of. I mean, that's the thing. You see, a lot of times we we think to ourselves, well, they're coming from so many different places and they have so many problems, and how can we deal with all those things? And oftentimes, we get mired down in the story and we don't realize that what these kids really want is care and connection. That's what they want. They they don't have it, um, but they're looking for that. And if they can connect adult in the classroom, um, then then they'll be very uh, they'll they'll be able to learn from you, and they'll they'll also be able to manage some of their um, some of the behaviors that they've created uh, to, to deal with this. Because one of the things that we have to realize is that it, these behaviors are deeply rooted and they, they originated outside of the classroom. Right. They, started, they started because of their lack of attachment. And so what we have to do is bifurcate their existence and make sure that they understand that school and the adult in the classroom is a safe person that can be trusted. And how they do that is, is simply by how they manage themselves and dealing with off-task behaviors, how they structure the classroom activities, um, how they deal with the child when the child is obviously not in a place where they can learn, um, giving them opportunities to do things in transition periods, like being a, a line leader or something like that, to give the child a, a sense that once they're inside of the school, and for a lot of these kids, they're there for 10, 12, 14 hours a day, um, that they can they they can really feel safe, and so it's not it's it's not it's not difficult, but it does have to be intentional because I think one of the biggest problems that teachers have they get into the profession because they're good with kids. You, okay. You're not gonna you're not gonna meet a single teacher that doesn't say I'm great with kids. That's why I started to I want to <laughs> teach kids. I'm good with kids, and that's true. But if the child comes to you and doesn't have the basic attachment. Um, capability that's necessary to attach to you it doesn't matter what you do uh, in your normal everyday kind of experience they're not going to be able to attach to you right and so you, you need to see them as as someone that is different and most teachers if they have 25 kids in the class they can easily attach to 22 or 23 of them but it's the two or three that are outside who don't feel connected to you to their peers or to the work that they're doing that are causing most of the problems and so we have to kind of very, very consciously understand how we react to situations, their triggers, what kind of things work and don't work with them. It's, it's, it's a lot of what they're doing right now with the trauma, um, the idea of trauma, uh, kids that have dealt with uh, trauma. So they're, of they're course. Talking about this. They're talking about this a lot in a trauma-conscious classroom. Yeah. But really, I, I don't think it's, it's not really uh, – it's not that sophisticated it's really more it's got to be calm it's got to be consistent um it's got to be very very safe and in, the more that you can create an environment like that the easier it's going to be to get these kids to feel like they can connect with you of course do you have some specific i know in our last conversation several episodes back you gave some wonderful wonderful uh simple simple but very effective tools do you have any more for us for just showing that the teacher is there with each child in in maybe just moments a day but truly 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 there can you give us more yeah. of those well uh, well we'll do the uh, if you don't mind i'll go with through the different types i've uh, kind of i've created a student for each one of the the uh, uh attachment uh, oh. issues and so oh avoidant, that would be fantastic the avoidant uh, student his name is avery and okay. avery is avoidant and presents as independent 
does not trust the teacher, is task-oriented, self-reliant, and high-achieving in some respects, but tends to be socially uncomfortable and avoids relationships. They demonstrate limited creativity and they're prone to sudden outbursts and they avoid asking for help. This is the kid that gets frustrated very quickly. Um, they're a loner. They're difficult to get close to. They're not gonna participate very well uh, with the other kids. And for a teacher, when you have somebody like Avery in the classroom, you think about coming at them indirectly. You know, you don't wanna come at them directly and, and kind of try to connect with them. You wanna, you know, you wanna talk to them a little bit and say, you know, I, I really see how much work you put into what you're doing here. And, um, you know, I, I, I really would like to kind of lean on you a little bit more in class and, and call on you a little bit more and um, encourage you to continue to develop some of these uh, strengths that you have. Um, and then as, the, as they begin to open up a little bit and begin to answer questions and so forth, they'll start to feel a little bit more connected to you. They'll start to feel like, okay, I can trust this person. And the key for, for somebody like this is to really help them uh, accept and learn from their mistakes. So as a teacher, it's really important for us. And, and I noticed this as a new dad. It's really important. My, my son likes to say all the time, hey, dad, you make a lot of mistakes. And I, <laughs> I do. But I, I appreciate the fact that he he's aware of it. And I, you know, I make I make a mention it. My mistakes and I'm still learning and and those kinds of things. So when you have yeah. the avoidant personality type, come at them indirectly and kind of invite them in sort of sideways, you know, like, I, I just like to ask you a few more questions in class. I see you're doing really well in math and you seem like maybe you could help us all, all, all along and um, kind of invite them in uh, indirectly, if that makes sense. It makes it makes so much good sense. Let's just <clears throat> notch it down a little bit for the, the early childhood educators. Uh, you know, again, just notice what they're good at. Notice what they yep. like to do. And then really, really focus on that. And when you have a chance, you know, whether it's to share their artwork, I, I do. Uh, my daughter is incredibly independent. She really is uh, so much different than my son. And she, yeah. school, she loves to be by herself. Um, and so, you know, we just we make a point to share some of the stuff that she's good at. She's excellent with Legos. She really likes to build things. She really likes to draw. Um, she's got a really active interior life. She talks to herself a lot. Um, and, you know, those are things that you can point out and just kind of it, you notice those things and try to see what they're good at and then try to invite them. In. What you're really trying to do is help them connect with you, but you're also to the rest of the class because yeah. that kind of student's going to have a hard time doing that. Wow. I just love that. And and when you um, make that uh that sideways suggestion about I'd like to call on you more. That's more of a private conversation. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. don't ever want to bring them out in public. You know, you, you want to, you want to always have that kind of, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You know, I've noticed the, I've yeah. noticed some of the excellent stuff that you've been doing and uh, you know, I could really use your help or, you know, again, you're trying to invite them in, you give them maybe possibly little leadership roles and do things like that. Um, right. you know, think, just ways for them to, because again, they're just, they're very reluctant to, to connect with anyone. Wow. That's, I really love this. Um, okay. Did you want to talk about the other three types? Yeah, yeah. The ambivalent connection uh, or attachment, we call them ambi and they seek comfort from adults, but they're unable to be soothed by it. So this is a child who's constantly asking to be hugged. Uh, and then they, they, but it still doesn't help. They, they're clingy and then they reject the teacher. 
they're immature and whiny. They, they're easily frustrated. They make excuses, play the victim, and they give up. Um, and they, they, they just require a ton of emotional uh, energy. And you're going to see this a lot with the young kids. Uh, yep. young educators are going to see this a lot. This is a kid who just, even though they de they, they're demanding attention, the attention doesn't work for them. Um, and so it's, it's really critical. And this is something I learned early on as a counselor was to make sure that with these kids that you're very, very appropriate with your physical space. You, a kid like this shouldn't be allowed to hug you. Um, just come running in and hug you anytime they want to. Um, for me personally, as a male counselor, I always, I, I will hug a kid on the side. Like we can go side to side and kind of put our arms around each other. Uh -huh. But the, the uh, you know, that full hug kind of thing is something uh -huh. that I was never comfortable with. But it's also really important in attachment theory. You need to help these kids develop boundaries. These are the kids who oftentimes get into really significantly challenging relationships with adults because they don't have very good boundaries. And so mm -hmm. they open themselves up to uh, abuse because they, they tend to be, you know, they, they, have, they have too much information. Oftentimes they're parentified or uh, Parentified by their parents, either a parent is divorced or something, and the parent treats the child like they're an equal instead of treating them like a child. So they have very inappropriate boundaries. Oh. And so it's really important to teach them about the meaning of things, facial expressions. Let them know what it looks like and help, help them to see it. Um, make suggestions about their, you know, their hygiene, their dress, their mannerisms, their posture. I know a lot of teacher are stand, teachers are standoffish about mentioning that kind of stuff. But I talk to kids all the time about picking their nose um, and some yeah. of the things like that, because they, it, it's really important to help them understand that, that some of these things are, are what's off-putting and why they're, they're having. <clears throat> these are the kids who are always complaining that they don't have any friends, but they're the kids who, when you see them interact with another kid, you yeah. know why they don't have any friends. And right. it's really help them to figure out what they're doing wrong, because these wow. kids have really bad social skills and so you need to help them understand what they're doing wrong um and and that can be a really powerful way to connect with these kids okay Not, how do you how do you i'm sorry go ahead well go ahead how do you say <clears throat> about the nose picking and and these other things that are off-putting to their peers how do you how do you say that i have no problem saying it i mean i i don't have any issue whatsoever talking to a kid I had a kid one time, I was wor working with a kindergarten kid who was complaining about recess um, and that he was getting bullied. So I went out to recess with him and I went out that day and I was looking for him. I couldn't find him. And he was sitting in the bathroom stall, of one of the outdoor bathrooms, yeah. just sitting there because he didn't want to play with anyone else. So, so the other boys were in there and they were wetting toilet paper and they were throwing toilet paper over Ooh. the stall. Um, at him and he came out you know obviously upset and so forth and I said hey man you can't you can't sit in there you know if if we need to find another place for you to sit where you want to go read or you want to go to the library you want to do something like that we can do it but the idea that we're going to we're going to tell you know 50 or 60 six-year-olds that that's inappropriate that that they need to treat this kid differently because he's doing something that they think is odd no, um, it, it never makes sense. You talk to that kid directly and you say, look, man, you can't, you're, you're picking your nose and you're eating it in class and other kids are making fun of you. You know, we need to understand the importance of a clean, Kleenex is, 
You give him the opportunity to get one anytime he wants to. You find ways to help him understand what works and what doesn't work. And you just, you know, you really, for this kid, you work on social skills more than anything else. Mm. Wow. I mean, the two people that you've, Avery and Ambie, that you've described so far, I totally have kids that fit in those exact, uh, you know, yeah. That's what's, that's what's really cool about attachment theory. I mean, if you, you see teachers' eyes just light up when I do trainings right. and they see this, you know, and they're like, oh my God, that's the kid, you know, and that's exactly, right. that's who they are. So the last one is Dylan, the disorganized, and they're often the angry and violent kid. Uh. Um, they're the ones who have a really, really strong PTSD, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn uh, response when triggered. This is a kid who's either been abused or been witness of abuse, probably they've uh-huh. got corporal, you know, in, in the family, uh, uh, probably some pretty significant discipline strategies, uh, maybe mm-hmm. some spousal abuse, um, maybe older brothers or sisters who are very physical with them. Um, and so they're, they're the, bu- they're, they're going to bully. They're going to be the ones who, who try to control uh-huh. the world with their physical dominance because they're uh-huh. very, very, uh, overwhelmed and and uh they don't they don't do very well with the the early education part of it because they're you know again they're hyper vigilant they have no idea where the uh uh, where the threat's coming from you know some Uh days it's good some days it's bad some days there's food some days i'm safe some days i'm not so this is a child that is just kind of they've got their head on a swivel and they're very erratic and unpredictable. And, and they're, they're oftentimes the ones who are going to be the, the ones who really, really act out in class. They're going to, when they get upset, bad things are going to happen. Stuff's going to get thrown um, and stuff like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're really just, they're, they're really completely scared. They have no sense. They're, they're, they do not feel safe in the world. And uh, so what we have to work on with them is we have to clearly define their behavior and what is not working. You know, they need to understand exactly what we're working on and, and separate the behavior from the child and say, hey, look, right. this is the behavior that we that we need to stop, whether it's biting or hitting or whatever it happens to be. Um, and then you, you, you work out a contract with this kid. This kid needs it needs to be very structured and organized. You need to bring it down to their level and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a contract about student behavior. Uh, be very, very consistent uh, and, and provide immediate rewards and consequences for any little transgression or for any little victory. Uh, just be able to get them started because they have they've created this sense of the world. Uh, and the only way that they can can deal with it is through these incredibly emotional outbursts. Mm-hmm. Need so, your reactions. Yeah, yeah, the knee jerk reaction. They're scared. Yeah. You know, they, they come sure. they come to school on a six or a seven on the PTSD ten scale. So oh. they're looking for, you know, every 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 time somebody looks at them, every time somebody says something to them, they're perceiving it as a threat. Yeah. So they see everything as being threatening. Yeah. Uh, you want to encourage and acknowledge any of their extracurricular activities uh, in or out of school. You know, they're not going to be normally in- incredibly successful in school because they're really easily discouraged right now uh-huh. because emotional strength is, is really low. So you want to build them up in any way that you can, whether they skateboard or they have a razor or they, they like to ride a bike or they enjoy a, a video, even a video game, whatever it is, screens, right. doesn't matter. Right. Just figure out what they're excited about and, 
and really connect with the Lord on that. And then this is a kid who will really thrive on the, on the classroom uh, jobs. So if you got the, the trash taker out or the, I don't think they have chalkboard uh, cleaners anymore, or, right. but whatever they do, but whatever student job you can give them, mm. it's really, really important to give them some responsibility because they don't feel like they control, they, they feel like they're out of control. So if they have some control and they can feel like that, and this is another time, another opportunity to talk to the other kids about fair isn't always equal um, when you're dealing with a kid who's struggling um, that you say to them, you know, hey, yeah, I understand that Johnny gets to do this on a regular, and most of the time this will be a boy, but um, you will uh-huh. have to talk to the other kids and have a conversation about, you know, the fact that sometimes that, that you do these kinds of things for, for this student because we're working on the, their anger problems or their acting out problems or whatever. Another good thing to notice with these kids too, and all these kids, but especially the disorganized one is to, I, I think I mentioned this last time, which was own the door and, yep. and really be aware of the student's behavior when they're coming in from transition periods so that you can see whether or not they're just about to explode and, uh, and, and have some, some ideas in place. Last time we talked about stacks of colored paper that needed to be organized or something like that but but find ways to separate the kid from the crowd when when things are obviously not going their way and give them an opportunity to calm down preemptively yeah a little a little uh a little direct attention um and and be able to to get you know get them out of their get them out of their own way help them yep out of their own ways uh Okay, I have to go back a little bit. When you have that conversation with uh, the Dylan, the disorganized, um, about the other kids, you have a conversation with the other kids about Dylan, that's not when Dylan's there or it is? Uh, you, you know, fair is not equal. I would, I, would care, I would incorporate Dylan in the conversation or if Dylan's okay. out day we could have a conversation about it as well i mean it's a, it needs to be an ongoing conversation because one of the things sure. the, the way to create a safe classroom which again is the bottom line to all of this yeah is that we're constantly talking about it you know we're talking about what's safe and what what it looks like and what we're all working on and and those oh. kinds of things and so this is a this is a constant conversation about the safety of the classroom and mm. the, and that that we are these are the things that we're focused on and and some of us have some things that we've we've been struggling with, and maybe when you have an event, you can you can have kind of a talk about it and, and sort of break it down a little bit. And just really depends on the child too. I mean, some kids sure. will be okay with that. Some kids may not be okay with it. But you know, it, you don't even have to mention Dylan when you talk about you know fairs. Uh, you can make the con- you can make the the statement that you know as the teacher, I make decisions about what. Um, what we need to be doing in the classroom. And sometimes certain kids are going to get um, treated differently based on us tr- working on a particular thing. Um, we, we try not, you know, we definitely don't uh, uh, try to, uh, you know, influence behavior with reward. I, I'm not a big fan of that, but yeah. to say that, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're not trying to accommodate behavior, but we also understand that that there are some pre-existing situations that make it more difficult for some of us to, to be successful than others. And we need to work together. I mean, that's the team, the team idea that we're all in here together. And the, you don't, you know, you don't kick the bully out of school. You help the bully realize that what they're doing is, 
is inappropriate and you, you try to work together to help the bully come up with some different strategies. Yep. Really, really valuable. Um, you have a course or something? No. Well, we're working on we're, We'll be doing, yeah, we're doing some online stuff later in the year. I'm finishing up the book now. Um, I think we're going to call it Charm School. How to connect with <laughs> the most challenging students in your class. We're finishing up the book and then the most on PD right now, it seems like everything's going in that direction. So maybe I can come back and talk to you in six months and we'll, we'll be farther along in that path. But we, we Absolutely. We I hope so. Um, I also hope that I hear there's some little weird technical stuff. So I'm going to have to listen to this and make sure that we didn't get any glitches in this. This was so valuable. Rusty, thank you for your time again. <clears throat> My pleasure. And thanks for all you do, Nini. All the great work oh. that you do. Keep it oh, up. You're the best. We'll, we will keep in touch. Okay. Okay, Wendy. Rusty, thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. I hope you found that conversation as valuable as I did. I know 100% that Rusty would love to connect with you. Why not like his Facebook page? You can find it at facebook.com slash Training. Once you've liked his page, you'll be able to get more mini lessons from him, and you'll even be able to ask him questions directly. In case you couldn't tell, Rusty is one dedicated and deep-thinking educator. Thank you for being here. Thanks for all that you do for the kids, and I mean that with all my heart. Thank you.